Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. Amen. Now, now listen, while you're still standing, if you want to take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And I want to read, I got several scriptures that I want to read this morning out of Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to begin reading along about uh, verse 15, and we want to read down through verse 31. Matthew chapter 27, beginning with verse 15, and we're going to read down through verse 31. I'm going to read that uh, real quickly, and that way you can sit down and, uh, and kind of rest for an hour or so. <laughs> Amen. Lost about three-quarters of you right there, huh? <laughs> Amen. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 15. I want to just kind of bring you up to where uh, we're picking up here in, this, uh, in this, this morning. Jesus has been taken uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has uh, betrayed him, and so they've come. They arrested Jesus and uh, they, uh, they have taken him now, and he's standing before Pontius Pilate. Uh, <clears throat> Judas recognizes the error of his ways, and he's returned uh, the silver and all of that and uh, has gone out and, and uh, committed suicide and, and all that. But Jesus now is standing before the governor, which is Pilate, and Pilate is, is examining him and questioning him. Uh, I tell you what, let's just start with verse 11. Uh, and Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. And then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And now in verse 15, Now at, at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. And when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priest, I want you to notice verse 20. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him 
be crucified. And when Pilate saw that, that he could prevail no farther, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hand before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. They didn't know what they were saying, did they? Verse 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I'm going to stop right there uh, for the sake of time this morning. Father, thank you today for the power of your word. Now, Father, let it go forth today with passion. Let it go forth with power. Let it go forth today with conviction. And Father, this morning, that we'll not leave here like we came, but be, we will be changed by the power of your word in the mighty, wonderful name. And everybody said, Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much for standing uh, for the reading of God's word. I want to bring you a message this morning that uh, is one that I have never preached. It is, it is on a topic that I have never used before. But several weeks ago as I was studying, Holy Spirit just zoomed me in on this passage of Scripture. I want to talk to you this morning, bring this message to you. The title of it is The Other Jesus, the other Jesus. And I want to give you uh, a brief synopsis or a brief flyover of why I am in this particular vein of preaching. I said it last week, and I said it, uh, I think, Wednesday night, that I would much rather preach messages, especially in the season that we're in, that would cause you to be up, excited, jumping, and moving, and, and just uh, swinging off of the light bars. That would be my desire. But yet, there's a burden in my spirit that I cannot shake. And there's a, there's a, a heaviness on my heart that I cannot get rid of. And so, uh, God has put me in this vein. And I know that when God puts me somewhere, I must stay there. My uh, assignment before you this morning is to, is to warn you and to let you know and to give you some insight from God's Word so that you will know uh, what, uh, what I believe that God is wanting to say. Uh, I'm reminded of... Uh, uh, of the time that Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel chapter 33. He talks about a sword, and he talks about a watchman, and he talks about a warning or a trumpet. And the reason that Ezekiel talks about the sword is that the sword rep is representative of the judgment of God that was coming upon the nation uh, at that time. So Ezekiel, God speaks to Ezekiel and, and tells him, he said, I've called you to be a watchman. And God has called me to be a watchman. 
He's called you to be a watchman over your area or over your sphere of influence. I want you to understand that. We're all watchmen. We've all got responsibilities, sir uh, or ma'am. You've got a responsibility uh, in the eyes of God to be a watchman over your sphere of influence. If God has given you a family, then that is your sphere of influence. If he's given you a job that you go to every day and you work around people, that is your sphere of influence. And it's our responsibility as those who have been enlightened with the truth that have received the enlightenment and we understand the mystery of the gospel and, and we uh, our hearts have been opened up to the word of God, we have the responsibility to share that truth. And so God spoke to Ezekiel about the sword uh, that was coming and his responsibility as a watchman to warn the people. He said, and, and this, is, this is the weight or the burden that many pastors have. And, and, and God said to Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, he said, as a watchman, if you see the sword coming and you warn them, he said, then the decision that they make is not on you. He said, but if you see the sword coming and you don't warn the people, he said, then their blood is on your hands. And I don't know about you, but I don't want your blood on my hand. I don't want anybody's blood on my hand. And I know that, that uh, over the course of ministry, I've made many enemies and, and all of that because of decisions that I've had to make. But at the end of the day, friend, the bottom line is this. We have that responsibility. Did y'all bring you a sack lunch today? Listen, so here's, here's what the reason I believe the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to me and the way he is, and I and listen, my worst mistake is to watch other pastors and listen to what they're preaching and then try to figure, well, God, why are you not speaking to me like you're speaking to them? God has, has put me in this vein, and I'm going to give you this. This is the reason that I believe that God has put me in this vein. And yes, I probably see things differently than others. And I probably might see things differently than you, but again, it is my responsibility to give you the revelation that God gives me. Amen? And, and please understand, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm, sa I'm going to say it with authority, and I'm going to preach it like it's the last time we'll get together. But I, I want you to understand, uh, because as, as my family I want to see you smiling, and, and we got this is a place where we've got to understand that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not what's going on around me, not what's happening in the world, not what's coming down the pipe or anything like that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have joy today because I am born again, blood washed, 
child of God. I don't have joy this morning because of the pandemic. I don't have joy this morning because of the elections coming up. I don't have joy this morning because of the, all the unrest in society. I've got joy today because I know that I know that I know that I am a child of God. I am born by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if somewhere in the mix of all that you can find some joy uh, about things going on around you, then so be it. I'm excited, and I've got a little joy there, too. I'm not doom and gloom, and I'm not giving up. The world's not going to hell in a handbasket, and the sky's not falling this morning. But I'm telling you today, I want to give you some warnings. Somebody say, preacher, get to what you want to say. But here's the reason. And it comes out of 1 Kings. Now, this is not what I'm going to preach, but it, it just kind of sums up a summary of why I believe that I'm on the vein that I'm in. And it's the story of Ahab and Jehoshaphat. Uh, they had gathered together. Ahab had requested Jehoshaphat's presence to come and help him fight a battle uh, with, with some people. And so Jehoshaphat, as a man of God, yokes up or, or links up with Ahab, which is a, 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 an idolatrous king, an evil king married to an evil woman named Jezebel and all of that. And so it's an it's a, it's a oil and water mix. And so they get together and, and, and so uh, Jehoshaphat, the only godly one in the bunch, says, okay, hey, before we go to fight a battle, is there a man of God anywhere that I can get a word from the Lord? Man, I felt that right there. Amen. Is there, is there, is there a prophet somewhere that, I could, that we can get a word from the Lord? Listen, if there's ever been an hour that the church needs a word from God, it's today. We need a word from God. And so anyway, to make a long story short, they, they come together and, and Ahab says, well, I got this old guy down the road there. His name is Micaiah, but I don't like the dude because every time I, I seek him for a word, he don't ever give me anything that's good. And so Ahab had surrounded himself against, uh, with a bunch of people false prophets that were yes men, that anything this evil king wanted to do, it was yes. You go ahead and do it. You're going to get victory. Uh, you're going to be blessed. And they gave him the go-ahead on this particular battle. But Jehoshaphat, being the man of God, said, I want to hear from a man of God. So they brought Micaiah and, and asked him. And Here's what he said. This is the prophet speaking to Ahab and Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 22 and verse 19. And he said, Hear thou, therefore, the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Notice that. This is the prophet that's speaking, standing in front of Ahab, and he said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, and, and uh, he said, Who shall I find that can persuade Ahab to go up and fight in this battle because it's going to be this battle that the judgment hand of God is going to fall on Ahab. And one said on, 
on this manner and another said on that manner. In other words, God was, it's a picture of God asking, and there were several comments by those that had surrounded him. One said, we can do it this way, and another said, we can do it that way. And there came forth a spirit. Notice this. There, there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And that word persuade means that I will figure out a way to get him to do what you want him to do. And the Lord said unto him, how? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. I want you to understand this morning that the Bible says that in the last day, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11, that because society refused to believe the voice of truth and refused to receive the love of God, God said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 that God will send a strong delusion so that they will believe a lie. I want you to understand, I believe that we're living in that hour today. Thus the reason that we see such a division even in the body of Christ, even in churches, there's such a division. There's some that, that look and say, well, abortion is, is wrong. It is against the will of God. It is murder. I believe that. I believe that abortion is murder. I believe, uh, and really I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you and say, uh, I don't believe that you can stand and worship Jesus on Sunday morning and vote for somebody that is for, uh, for abortion on Monday. That is my idea. That is my belief. And I believe it's wrong. We look around and we see even on, on uh, the, the ideas of homosexuality and things like that. Churches are divided over these issues. Pastors are divided over these issues. I've, I've, I've been in meetings just here recently where that subject came up. And it was a divisive subject. Even in our city. Uh, it is a divisive subject. And so we see so many things. And friend, what happens is that once these doors, uh, these, uh, these, these doors uh, are opened up, they, they begin to get wider and wider and wider. And, and so before you know it, you're, you're uh, in, a, in, a, in a community or a country uh, where there's so much division that the church lines, the, 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 the lines of holiness and righteousness have become so blurred that, that they're hardly recognizable. 
But, but somewhere in the middle of all that, uh, we've got to recognize that we as the body of Christ are responsible for the truth that I read out of this word. Uh, I, I can't, I can't uh, take this word and beat you over the head with it and make you think like I do. All I can tell you is that when I opened this word back years ago after giving my life to Christ, I fell on my face and I opened this word. And I had to come to a place where I had to recognize that even the things that daddy and mama had taught me was not the direction that God was wanting to take me. And so I had to get on my face before God and I said, Lord, you said Holy Spirit breathed upon the prophets of old and they wrote this word. I need that same Holy Spirit to reveal to me and give me wisdom and understanding about this word. I will not stand before a congregation of people and speak your word unless you give me revelation and wisdom. And so that was my prayer. And so here we are today. Now, I'm not saying that everything I was taught as a child had to be thrown out the window. I'm saying that God had to redirect some things in my life. So here we are. And I believe that delusion is is being uh, spread across our nation. I believe there's a time, ladies and gentlemen, when uh, people that, that uh, claim to be Christians, that, that go to church on Sunday morning and, and all of that and might pay their tithes and all of that, but I believe there's a place where, where God says, you have refused to follow my word. You are refusing to allow me to be the head of your life, so I'm going to let you go in the direction that you want to go, and not not only am I going to let you go in that direction, but I'm going to open up and you're going to, you're going to begin to believe things that your forefathers would have wept over. You're going to begin to believe things that your forefathers would turn over in their grave if they knew it was going on in the house of God today. And so that lie begins to permeate society. Why is it that we can turn on television and turn on the news and see educated, smart, brilliant-minded people that have such stupid ideas? How is it that we can turn on television and you can hear so much derogatory rhetoric about Christians and about churches when the church if it's operating in the manner that it should represents the love of Jesus Christ. There is no hatred. There is no bitterness in it. It is absolutely love. But yet you can turn on the news and you can hear these educated, supposedly smart men and women that decry the church, that blame the church for everything that's going on in society because the church, ladies and gentlemen, is the only institution left in the United States of America that stands against the tide of evil and, and worldliness and sin and perversion and all of that. It is the church, the body of Christ, those that have been called and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Listen, it is not your place, child of God, to beat somebody up about their uh, the way they do things. It is my 
responsibility to love you into the kingdom of God, to give you a hand up and to pull you out of the mess that you're in. It is not my place to belittle you or to beat you down or get in a racial riot with you or something like that. God called the church to be a light in a dark world. So here we are, and man, what a synopsis. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, but you understand, this is, this is the things that God is burdening my heart with. And so we come down to this passage that we just read out of Matthew chapter 27. And as I was reading this the other day, Holy Spirit just began to prompt me because I began to see some things, some similarities that are taking place in our society today. One of the things that I want to point out to you is, is Pilate's wife that came to Pilate and gave him this subtle warning not to mess with this righteous man. She said, because I have suffered many things in a dream. The Lord dealt with me on that, and he said this. He said, don't look over and pass over the subtle warnings that I give when I'm trying to wake people up. He said, he said because there are times when it will be so subtle and so easy and so small that if you're not careful, you will disregard it and you will pass or you will try to placate what I've been trying to show you. Pilate did that when he uh, washed his hands and said, my hands are clean of this man, but you can do what you want to with him uh, because Pilate didn't want to stand against the crowd and make a decision because he knew that it was not going to be a popular decision. Which leads us to the place where we are today. Nobody wants to stand against the crowd. Everybody wants to flow along with the crowd. I was listening just last night to the news concerning a particular female candidate. And one group of, of uh, voters or one group of female voters uh, uh, allegedly put it out that you are not to say anything negative against this candidate, anything that, that can be considered uh, racist or sexist, because if you do, we will drag you through the mud. And so therefore, those that could say something are going to back up because they are afraid to say something. And those, those that, uh, that, that... And so the Lord really dealt with me about the subtle warnings, ladies and gentlemen. We as a church need to pay attention to the subtle warnings. We need to quit turning our spirit off and receiving everything that's coming on the news. We need to start turning our spirit on 
and let the radar of our spirit begin to direct us and guide us even when we start thinking about voting and electing officials we need to be sensitive to what the spirit of god is saying on the inside of us and quit following the crowd and so we come down to this thing uh, where jesus is standing before pilate and the bible says that uh pilate uh was want to release a prisoner at the feast, uh, uh, whoever the people wanted. This is, this is something that, that they took out of the book of Leviticus, and I'm not going to go into that. It has to do with a scapegoat and all that, but I'm not going to go into that. But I want you to notice something that, that Pilate uh, said uh, there was a notable prisoner there whose name was Barabbas. And uh, Barabbas, the name Barabbas means the son of Abba or the son of a father. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give you my punchline, sort of, because I want you to understand what I'm talking about. As I was studying this the other day, I found, and in and, and several commentaries and even in the reference of one of my Bibles, Barabbas uh, is believed, his, his name was believed to be Jesus, Barabbas. Just think about that for just a moment because I want you to get this picture. In other words... In, in this story, there's, there's a couple of times uh, that Pilate refers to Jesus. Actually, in verse uh, Matthew 27, verses 17 and 22, Pilate refers to Jesus as Jesus, which is called Christ. He does that twice, twice. In doing this, Pilate was drawing a distinction between Jesus, which is called Christ, I believe, and Jesus, Barabbas. Now, Jesus was a common name back then, so it wasn't uncommon for somebody to be named Jesus. But we know that, that Jesus, the Christ, is a name that is above all other names. All right? So, uh, I believe that, that what Pilate was, was saying was, drawing a distinction between the two men. And even though that he knew that Jesus the Christ was a righteous man and that he had done nothing worthy of death or nothing worthy of being crucified, uh, here was Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas. And I want you to get this. And I'm going to just call him Barabbas. Barabbas was a political prisoner. The Bible says this, this story is told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Barabbas was referred to as a notorious prisoner. He was one that, that is referred to as being a part of a rebellion, a part of an uprising that took place against the Roman government. So he was a political prisoner. 
Pilate's desire, being the governor of the, the city there, was to uh, crucify Barabbas. And, and so Barabbas was one that, that the, when the people looked at him, he was one that represented their political ideas and structure. I want you to get this. Because their idea of a king was not this humble, beaten up, quiet Jesus that was standing before them. Their idea of a king was one that could hold a sword, was one that would stand up uh, against the Roman government, and, and they were looking for an earthly king. They were looking for some politician uh, to raise up and was going to answer all of their needs and fix all of their problems. And this little humble man that was standing before them that didn't open his mouth because the Bible says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and he, not, he did not open his mouth or anything. They did not see anything worth desiring about him just as I Isaiah had prophesied, but they looked at this other one, and it was the political correct way to go. I want you to notice something, that as they were standing there, and, and uh, Pilate had said, which one of these men do you want? The Bible says that the elders and the chief priests persuaded the multitude to ask for Barabbas. I read that the other day. It's in Matthew 27 and verse 20. You can mark it down. It says, but the chief priest and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. I want you to get what's going on here. Here you have a political structure of chief priests and elders. They hate Jesus. They hate everything to do with Jesus because Jesus stands against all of their tradition. He stands against all of their uh, 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 legalistic ways and all of that. And so they hate this man called Jesus. And so their desire and their goal has been and still is to destroy Jesus. And so they're standing there, and here's the multitude of people. And I want to tell you something about this multitude of people. This is the multitude of people that, that when Jesus began his ministry, they gathered to hear the gracious words of Jesus. They followed Jesus everywhere he went, throughout the streets of the city, by the seashore of Galilee. There were multitudes of people that were following Jesus. They had Jesus had compassion on the multitude. The Bible says that when he looked out across the multitude, that he had compassion on them. And, and he uh, told them to sit down, and he fed them. Uh, 
the multitude, the Bible says, were astonished when they saw the miracles that were, that were produced from the life of Jesus. It was the multitude that stood there that day as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem and the multitude, ladies and gentlemen, spread their garments out uh, for the donkey that Jesus was on uh, to walk on. It was the multitude that said, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, praise him. Hosanna, Hosanna that comes and blessed is he that comes in the name of, of the Lord. Uh, they even referred to Jesus as the prophet from Nazareth. That was the multitude. It was the multitude that stood there that day and, 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 and heard the, the, the word Lazarus as Jesus spoke it. And Lazarus, the dead man, came up out of the grave as the multitude stood there and watched. It was the multitude, ladies and gentlemen. I'm kind of laying some groundwork. But the multitude stood there that day as blind Bartimaeus hollered out to Jesus and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible Bible says that Jesus had mercy on him and came and healed his eyes. It was the multitude. May I, let me remind you, it was the multitude that stood on the seashore that day when Jesus and his disciples disembarked off the ship and Jesus rebuked the demons that were in the one called Legion. It was the multitude that was there and they saw all of this and they saw all the mighty works that Jesus did, but it's the multitude that was persuaded by the chief priest and the elders to turn their backs on this man called Jesus and cry out that he be crucified. Let me give you a warning this morning that you will see in the coming future, you will see things like that take place in the United States of America more so than you're seeing today. You will have people, politicians, and people that are under political structures that are being governed by demons and demonic powers that are going to try to persuade people to turn against Christians and turn against Jesus the Christ. But I want you to understand, mark it down in your little black book that on Sunday morning in McCulloch, uh, Alabama, at McCulloch Christian, somebody said, beware of those voices. Beware of the voices that you listen to and that you let come into your spirit and recognize don't let anybody persuade you that he is any other than Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the mighty God the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Healer, the Redeemer, and the Savior. Listen. Here's the power of persuasion that we need to guard against today. Ask yourself the question this morning, who is the loudest, most influential voice in your life? Think about it. Some of you ladies probably said, well, it's my husband, Pastor. And some of you men probably said, 
That's my, that's my wife, Pastor. Who is, who is the, the loudest voice of influence in your life? Think about it. Think about it. Don't answer too fast. Because if you lay in bed at night worried about what's going on in this country and you can't sleep, the loudest voice of influence in your life is not Jesus. See, if you walk around depressed and stressed and worried about because you don't know what's going to happen after November, you are listening to the wrong voice. The loudest voice of influence in your life is either CNN, Fox News, or that other uh, whatever they want to call it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I I want you to be honest with yourself today and ask yourself, who is the loudest, most influential voice in my life? Or whose voice carries the most authority in your life? Whose voice or voices do you respond the most to? One more. So, man, I'll be glad when he gets off of that. Whose voice directs the majority of your thoughts? Think about it. See, we are, we are persuaded by voices. We are persuaded by voices of influence in our lives. The multitude was persuaded by influential voices that were speaking around them. The pressure, because of the influential voices around them, the pressure begins to be turned up to the point to where people will begin to think, well, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was to begin with. And so they begin to accept little bits of information and they get a few more bits of information and before long they get to a place to where they, they begin to think outside of the Word of God and they say, well, you know what? It must be okay. And I, and I listen, Mom and Dad, I want you to especially pay attention to me on behalf of your young people and your children. Because what we are seeing in our society today is a product of what education has instilled in the minds and, and the hearts of young men and young ladies. Boy, I know this is, whew, this is not a popular message. But you know what? I'm going to preach it if I have to go to the house and get on a sweet gum tree stump. 
and speak it because got to do it. But listen, the lesson for us with the multitude is this, that they had heard him, they seen him, they watched him perform miracles, and yes, they had shouted Hosanna in the highest to him. They had witnessed him changing the five loaves and two fishes into a meal that could feed 5,000 plus people, but yet they were persuaded by a few people to reject him for one who was a notorious criminal prisoner murderer but was politically correct in their eyes listen the bible says in second thessalonians talking about the spirit of antichrist which is already present in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this, this cause, I read this a while ago, that God would send them a strong delusion because they believed a lie. So here's the crowd and here is Jesus, which is called Christ, and Jesus Barabbas. The crowd was persuaded to accept Barabbas. That's, the re that's where I got the title from the for the message, The Other Jesus. Because... Sad to say that many in our culture today want a Jesus that does not require anything from them, but has an abundance of blessings, an abundance of provision that can ensure that they've got a home in heaven and is fire insurance against hell. But let me tell you this. I've given you all the doom and the gloom. And hopefully you'll go home and study this and compare it to some of the things that's going on in our society today. But here is where I want to leave you. The multitude in that day was persuaded. Jesus was crucified. And listen, I know that is the reason why he came to earth to give his life. I understand that. But there were also things that, that uh, played into bringing that to where it's fruition. But here's the thing that I want to leave you with today. Where the multitude persuaded them to accept one that was a criminal, one that was right the opposite of Jesus the Christ, we need to understand that the enemy would do nothing more today than to like to persuade Christians. And listen, I want to give you an example. I have watched people that were close to me, extremely close to me, that spoke in tongues, that were used in the gifts of the Spirit, 
that were used in prophetic words, that were, that were very extremely intelligent in the Word of God, that had been educated and understood the Word of God. I have watched those individuals as they were turned by voices around them. It didn't happen in the snap of a finger, but it was a gradual turning of where somebody would say, well, you know, that part of the Bible is no longer relevant for us. And so they would accept that. And I watched this individual as their heart began to turn. And listen, the end result of that turning was that they lost respect for the Word of God. They began to accept the things that we were talking about earlier as just something that the church needed to accept. So I know, friend, because I've been there before, how the enemy will use the power of persuasion to talk you out of the blessing that God has given you that will talk you out of the anointing. There's a matter of fact, there's somebody that's listening to me right now. I don't know if it's here or where else, but there's somebody that's listening to me right now, and God years ago put a call on your life. He put his finger on your life in a powerful way and called you into some type of ministry, but something happened in your life, and you listened to the voice of others, and you, you were persuaded that it really wasn't God. But God is saying to you right now, I did speak to you, I did call you, and I did anoint you, and you were persuaded otherwise, but listen to the word today that I'm telling you, God is calling you back. So sir or ma'am, it is time today to get up and stand up and be what God's called you to be. But now listen to this. So if the devil is trying to persuade us otherwise, it becomes of utmost importance that we recognize three words that will change our lives, and they are, I am persuaded. Uh, and, and listen, it is not that you are persuaded of man stuff, but it's the words that Paul used in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 38, and I'm fixing to close, where Paul said, for I am persuaded. Listen, say those words, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Say it again, I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Some of you need to wake up. I am persuaded. What would cause a man to say these words, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain? What would cause a man to say these words? I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. But now, my time of departure is at hand. And I know that when I leave this earth, there's a crown of glory that's waiting me. What would cause a man to do that? I am persuaded. I am persuaded. What would cause somebody to stand up in the face of all kind of opposition and say, if you will deny Christ, you can live. 
There's got to be a persuasion, ladies and gentlemen. Paul said this. He said, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am persuaded of this. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending, says the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I am persuaded. Can I ask you again, ladies and gentlemen, how strong are you in your persuasion? How strong are you in your faith that can stand and say, no, I am persuaded. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, uh, John the Revelator said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Listen, if, if, if you're big enough to tell me I am the first and I am the last, then that lets me know that everything in between is about you too. Amen. I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. This same one that John the Revelator was talking about, this Jesus, the Christ, was the same one that he saw walking in the midst of the seven golden lampstands holding in his right hand seven stars and 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 it was that same Christ that John said I saw him and I fell at his feet as dead I am persuaded that either the word of God is truth or it is fiction it is of no value to me I am persuaded that Jesus is who he said he was. I am persuaded that if he is who he said he was, then I am responsible to follow what he said for me to do. And if I do that, I recognize also being who he said he was, that he has the right to place me in judgment on that day. So therefore, friend, my responsibility is to be firmly, solidly persuaded that Jesus Christ is, period. Would you stand with me, please? I've given you a lot this morning. But I pray that you'll go home and, and just do some studying for yourself and let Holy Spirit speak to you. My goal is to be obedient to the Lord. So as I preach and as I speak this word, maybe next Sunday we can have a jumping, shouting, hallelujah, count meeting time. Listen, Jesus said this. He said, it's the truth that will set you free. All right? Truth will set you free. So pay attention to those voices that try to persuade you. Father, we love you today. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you today for the opportunity that we've had today to share your word. 
We thank you this morning for listening ears and open hearts. We ask you this morning, Father, that you would bless every individual that's in this place today. Let your anointing, let your favor rest upon us today. Father, I pray this morning that, Father, we would leave out of this building today with the joy of the Lord permeating and flowing out of our lives. Father, I ask you this morning that as we receive this morning's tithe and offering, that you would bless those that are giving today. Father, that you would take the gifts and the seed that they're sowing into your kingdom and multiply it back to them, Father, many times over. Bless this ministry. Father, I thank you that every need is met, every empty place is filled in Jesus' name, and we give you praise. And everybody said amen, amen. We love